Uh, we are continuing this morning in a series <laughs> of sermons on worship. <clears throat> and we began um, a couple weeks ago with sort of setting the biggest frame for that, uh, trying to understand our, our entrance into worship as a journey of sorts. Uh, there is, like any story, um, a stage of anticipation. Uh, which is then met by a number of challenges that have to be overcome. Um, eventually, there's an encounter, uh, which we experience here in the Word and at the table, which leaves us changed, and then we are sent back. We return to the world from whence we came. Uh, this morning, there's a, a few of us who got up. We had a state of anticipation about coming and gathering as God's people for worship, but there were some challenges to overcome, weren't there? We had to test the deck and see how icy it was and check the road and do all that kind of stuff. Um, some of our challenges are external, but there are also some of those which are internal. Distraction, ways in which we are pulled away from the purpose God has for us. But God is gracious and merciful, draws us into a place of encounter, sends us back changed. Uh, that's the big frame, the big kind of the big picture of the journey. Uh, but last week we focused in specifically on being um, called out of the world. Does anybody remember the, the astronauts we were talking about, right? The overview effect of being taken out of the world and looking back on it and having their perspective changed. Uh, it's sort of like the lens of scripture that Lindsay's talking about. Uh, worship itself provides a lens also for us to see God and what he's doing in our lives more fully. And so as we're taken up into worship, uh, we are drawn up to a high place like Moses who went up on the mountain of God and encountered him there. Like Elijah who goes up and stays at the mouth of the cave and doesn't encounter God in the earthquake or the fire or the mighty rushing wind, but instead in the still small voice with which if we pay attention, God speaks to us still. We remembered David, the psalmist who prayed to God to in the midst of from the ends of the earth, he called, that God would take him up and lead him to the rock, which is higher than I. And then we saw Jesus when he comes and answers that plea and leads his disciples out of the world, out of their normal daily tasks, out of their boats and their fishing village to the Mount of Beatitudes, where at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the one who builds his house on the rock. He is the rock. He leads Peter, James, and John up the Mount of Transfiguration. They see him there in all of his glory. Paul goes up to the third heaven. John sees a door standing open in heaven. Over and over again, we see people called up and out of the world that they might encounter God, and then they are sent back different. Our Sunday school lesson this morning downstairs had to do with the ascension. We're at the end of Luke's gospel. We see Jesus with his disciples. He's led them up on top of the Mount of Olives. And they go out as far as Bethany. And there he is lifted up before them and, and ascends into the heaven as he raises his hands to bless them. And he departs. And they have this moment of encounter. And then they go back to Jerusalem where they came continually every day to the temple to glorify him. They experience this encounter and now they went back to Jerusalem different. We see this pattern playing out over and over again. This morning, what I want to do, 
since we've kind of set the big frame and we've also understood that in the context of Scripture, we see it over and over again, I want us to think for just a moment specifically about the call to worship. Call to worship. Often we hear, the Lord be with you, and also with you, let us worship God. For about the last six months or so, we have been using a different call to worship, slightly different call to worship. Um, and so that is going to be our scripture reading this morning. So uh, if you would, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll read verses 11 through 14. And I think you'll recognize the point, uh, because you've already said it this morning, where we come to that call to worship. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Be to God. <clears throat> We're going to talk this morning about the call to worship, this moment uh, where things change from being called out of the world and gathered together to the beginning of the journey that God has for us to the table. But first, I want to I want to ask you a question. Um, let's just imagine it's you know Saturday afternoon or something. You're talking with someone from church, and they say, "Are you going to go to blank tomorrow?" What would you typically say? You're going to go to to church. You're going to go to church tomorrow. How many times have you ever said that in your life? Yeah, a lot. You know what the word church means. The word church in Greek is ekklesia. Uh, ek is like out of. Ekklesia is, I think, rooted in the word laos or people. The church literally means the called out ones, the called out people, which actually begins to make a little sense when you recognize last week's whole sermon topic of being called out of the world. You are called out of the world to this place here where we are gathered in and then lifted up. We're called out of the world into what? The kingdom. Blessed is the kingdom of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit now and ever into the ages of ages. We announce our destination. We're called out of the world, just like all those biblical characters we just named, went through the list, and into the kingdom that our perspective might be changed and that we might be transformed. We might encounter Christ there. We're called out. The church is called out. But here's the second part. We're also gathered in. Right? We're called out of the world, but then we're gathered in together, constituting the body of Christ in this place. So think with me just a moment. Let's just name some of that. Um, we're called out of the world, and we've been gathered in today, uh, recognizing that, that uh, Jamie and, and 
Kay and Lindsay all celebrated birthdays last week. Uh, Jamie celebrating because he had a birthday and then a promotion of sorts. Um, we're ga- called out of the world, gathered in today with folks like Joy and, and Lydia and Jonathan and Chip and I making plans to go to Nicaragua, thinking about mission, thinking about engaging with the folks there who are even today being called out and gathered in. Uh, we've been called out and gathered in today, and as we gather in, uh, Bob's stories, remembering uh, his brother who has passed into the arms of the Lord. Uh, we gathered in today, and Kristen is unable to be here in person with us, and usually watches online later, is with her mother in hospice care, who hasn't eaten in three days, and appears to be nearing the end of her earthly life. We gather in today uh, with Jessica Smith having celebrated a baby shower yesterday and her and Megan up the Grove expected to be due in the next three weeks to a month. Two more babies being born. We're called out and gathered in today as uh, I got to see uh, Corbin Bledsoe at, at Lillian Anna School uh, on Friday, receiving an award uh, for the nine weeks. He's figuring out elementary school. Uh, thinking of, of John this morning, who uh, celebrating a basketball team in first place in the conference and all the hard work that that has entailed. Um, thinking, as we're called out and gathered in, of Roger Gregg, who had a health scare last week, but is doing really well now, thank God. <coughs> as we're called out of the world, that was the focus last week, we're, we're also gathered in, and as we're gathered in, we're gathered in together in our real lives, and we make connections. We're talking about life here, and we're talking about death, and we're talking about work, and we're talking about play, and we're talking about service, and we're, we, we run into each other. We're gathered up. All of these different elements and disparate elements of our lives, and we could go through each person here, and that's part of the beauty of God gathering us in. It's, it's the small talk that we make in between. How's your week? What's going on? What's good? Where are you struggling? How can I be supportive? How can I encourage you? We're, we're called out, but then we're gathered in. And as we're gathered in, something happens in a very, I mean, we, we tend to separate these things in our mind in a very literal way. Which, is, which also has a mystical element to it. In that when we are gathered, the body of God in the world becomes visible. We often, I, I often think of, think of God's body is, of course, Christ is embodied. Christ takes on in the incarnation our human body, becomes a human being without ceasing to be God. And yet by the power of the Spirit, we are joined to His body such that we come to constitute His body. Paul talks about eyes and ears and hands and feet, right? But as we are gathered in, those eyes and ears and hands and feet come together, bearing many gifts but sharing the same Spirit. So if if someone is asking, what's God doing in the world? And you want to see what that looks like. You want to have the kind of lenses that Lindsay's talking about that we can see, one place that you could come is here 
Because on a Sunday morning, God gathers his body and we are constituted by it. And what do we pray at the table? That having received his body and blood, he would make us again his body and send us out into the world. Um, that's not just a mystical thing. It's, it's literally happening. And how does it begin? As we're called out and gathered in, there's a transition point. There's a moment of before and after. There's a line that is crossed, a lamp that's knocked in the floor. There's a particular moment, a before and an after, and it's, it is marked like this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all is announced. And the people respond, and also with you. And we say, let us worship God. I want us to think for just a moment. What I'm, really, what, what I'm trying to do with this series is to slow us way down. And the things that we usually do without hardly thinking about them or, or entering into them on a Sunday morning, I want us to, to just move through really slowly so that we can come to terms with the importance of each aspect. And it's not that you have to have I mean, I don't know that anyone has ever worshipped perfectly or been perfectly present in every single moment of worship. But what we're offered is an order, a progression, a journey that you can enter upon that transforms you, that brings you to that moment of encounter step by step and stage by stage. It's like the people wandering in the wilderness. It, it says that they go stage by stage through this journey of liberation from bondage to freedom in the land of promise, the land that flows with milk and honey. And so too, when we gather for worship, we go stage by stage. So here's the three stages embedded in the call to worship. We begin with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're always greeted by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the last breath that you took, the next breath that you will take, comes to us by the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in your life is a gift. None of it required. None of it can be demanded. None of it deserved. Life is a gift given to us by the grace of Jesus. That is no less true when we begin worship. Here's the importance of that. Now, I've said this before a time or two, but I'm still trying to actually believe it and live it. When we are gathered together, called out of the world, gathered together, and we enter into worship, it is not something that we do. It is, worship is not something that you do. It is not the prayers that we pray. It is not the hymns that we sing. It is not the anthem the choir offers up. It is not communion that we primarily come to receive. Now, worship in itself is a grace that is offered. It is a gift that is given because there is only one true worshiper. Again, one person who worships perfectly and fully each and every time and at every moment who is fully present and able to enter in. It is Jesus. The whole book of Hebrews is about this. Our great high priest. When we come in, there is one leading our worship, and it's not me. It's not the liturgist or the choir director 
or the pianist. It's not the announcers. It is Jesus Christ. He is the one who worships for you, in fact. And as we are gathered and become His body, we by the Spirit are joined not just to His body, but to His worship, to everything He gives. And so our worship is purified, and we can receive it rather than having to be the ones who offer it good enough or well enough. Uh, the session has been reading a book about this for about the last six months, and it's been difficult. It's a book by J.B. Torrance. It's called Worship Trinity and the Triune God of Grace. And um, after seeking to, to understand how Jesus is always the primary one, his grace for us, the primary one, uh, the primary actor in all these things, he gives an example of this. And then you see how it completely flips how most of us approach our lives as Christians. Mm -hmm. J.B. Torrance was a Scottish pastor and theologian. He was in the United States. He was in California for a lecture series. He got there a day ahead. He was out walking the coastline of the Pacific Ocean. He was on the beach. It was during winter. There weren't many other people there. It was quiet. The wind was blowing. And he's walking the beach, and a man's walking toward him. And they nod and greet each other. And the man sort of stops and recognizes a Scottish accent that he hears. And he engages the man in conversation, J.B. Torrance, long enough, that the man reveals to him that right then, the man had been walking down the beach, trying to pray, trying to figure out how to talk to God because his wife was actively dying. She too in hospice care. She too with days to live. Mm -hmm. Her father had been uh, a minister, but they had not been practicing their faith in years. And here he is on the beach by himself trying to figure it out, and a pastor and theologian happens to bump into him. What an accident, right? And so he presents him with his problem. He feels powerless to do anything to help her, to do anything to make it better. He can't fix the problem. He can't overcome death on his own. He's struggling. He doesn't even know how to pray. What does J.B. Torrance say to him? Does he give him an acronym and say, well, here's a good way to try, which is probably what I would have done, or here's the Lord's Prayer. Try that. He doesn't do that. He says to the man, there is, there's someone who's already praying for you. He said in the assurance of pardon that he reigns for us, he prays for us. Christ's ascended ministry includes praying for you all the time. And Torrance says to this man, not here's how you can pray better, here's what you can, here's what you can do. He says, here's what is being, do, is being done for you by no one less than the Lord Jesus Christ. God, who knows something about death because he's entered into it and then walked out the outer, outer side of it. Jesus, who has conquered death. Jesus, who is our high priest and yours and your wife's and your family's. Jesus, who prays for her right now. Even as the Holy Spirit prays from within you with groans too deep for words, you can't articulate it, you can't pray perfectly. God is actually even doing this on your behalf. The same thing is true when you come to worship. We come out of the midst 
of the world and we bring with us as we're gathered in all the different pieces of our lives and we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know how to worship. But the good news is that we are met from the beginning, from the call to worship with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, I say it quickly, but that phrase alone is laden with so much. When you come, you are joined by the grace of Jesus who prays on your behalf, who worships on your behalf and gives you the gift of just participating in what he is doing. Worship is a gift God gives to you, not something that you take to God and owe to him, though he is worthy of it. It is a gift he offers you. And this, of course, is grounded in God's love. The grace of Christ grounded in God's love from all eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, who in his grace invites us to share in his life. J.B. Torrance in that same book describes worship as the gift of participating in the son's relationship with the father in the love and unity of the Holy Spirit. Say it one more time. Worship is the gift that God gives you of participating in the Son's relationship with, fa with the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's love draws you in and makes you one with Him. And this, of course, is possible by the work of the Spirit. Again, our Sunday school lesson sort of tied in the ascension. Christ ascends so that He might send the Spirit and the Spirit lives within us so that we can experience a union and fellowship with Christ and the Father. Again, it's that picture of worship and participation uh, that we could not have otherwise. The, fel the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's how we start. And the fellowship, this word means koinonia. It means a participative union in something. And to participate, and this is how the, uh, think about Acts chapter 2. Immediately upon Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit, we're told that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. That word fellowship is koinonia. They give themselves to the fellowship, the union, the unity. And what we have in worship is unity with God and therefore with each other. We ask at the table, for the Holy Spirit to be sent upon us yet again, that we would be made one with the Lord Jesus Christ, having true fellowship with Him. Make us one, have true fellowship with Jesus and with all those who are baptized in His name, that we would be one in fellowship, in work, in life, in ministry. Something very profound is being named at the very beginning at the call to worship, the grace of Jesus which meets us as a gift given, grounded in the love of God for you from all eternity and made possible by the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit who makes us one, lives within us, binds us to Christ, makes us one together with one another. It's the call to worship. It's the beginning of this process which leads to encounter. And that's where we go now, to the table where Jesus graciously offers us union with himself in the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit. Let's head that direction. Let's ascend that mount. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.